This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 4th of December, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is ALL, the Association for Learning Languages. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. late afternoon or I should say good evening now that the night has fallen already. Good evening this fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 24th radio show as your hostess and I'm delighted to share this experience in your lovely company. First I have to introduce myself for any new listeners. I am a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the UK since 2008 and I am a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London where I do teach languages as well as humanities, that is to say Spanish, French, geography and history. I have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. So today I would like to focus on one topic that is relevant to me as an educator and also in my daily life, both at home and at work. This podcast will be on the topic of languages, learning languages, with um, an aside talking about the ALL, which is the Association for Learning Languages. So this topic is mostly relevant to anyone who is a language educator in the world, not just in the English-speaking world. Anyone who is interested in linguistics and languages, people who enjoy learning languages and other cultures, people who are interested in having an education that is inclusive and that values every actor in the educational system, and the curious and savvy. So again, if you want to interact live with us, please use Twitter at ProfProfMFL or you can use the chat function on ttradio.org. So first I want to start with a portrayal of what is happening in the United Kingdom. There is a very worrying language deficit in the United Kingdom. Only 7% of the people recorded in the census are more than one language speaker, which means that most of the UK population is monolinguist. So what does that do? Well, in effect, if you look at a map of the United Kingdom, you will see that most people um, do not speak more than one language. But if we look at the student 
population, we're going to see that London is obviously represented in dark blue, in dark blue color, because London is the capital and it's also the place where most immigrants come and settle. So you will have lots of students who are considered children with EAL. EAL is an acronym that stands for English as an additional language, which means these children speak one language at home and then learn another language at nursery or at school. So London, but also some cities up north, such as Birmingham and Newcastle, have a, a higher than average uh, rate of children with English as, a, as an additional language. So in London, in some boroughs, it's more than 50% of children who speak more than one language, but the majority of the rest of the country, there's less than 12% of children who are um, speaking more than one language. So what we call all the other languages that are not English, um, it depends really, there's lots of different terminology. There's people who use heritage language, community language, home language, and there's also what we study at school, which is sometimes considered differently and they're called foreign languages. So to me, the terminology is quite representative of people's vision and ideology. So I'm going to use mother tongue languages because I think it shows the, the familial aspect of the language that is spoken by these children. It shows that it's about your family, your heritage, the people love you, the people bring you up. I'm not so fond of community languages because I think English can be a community language. And also, it is not really, what, what does it mean? The languages that I've spoken in a community, well, there's a lot of languages. Are they all languages? Are some dialects or are they just a, a, a type of language that's been um, created? Is it street language? What are community languages? I find them quite, um, it, I think it's too vague, this term community. And the term heritage, I also have issues with because, I mean, it depends where you live. If you live in um, Qatar, for instance, the community language might be English. But if you live in um, Bradford, the community language is going to be maybe Arabic or Urdu or Punjabi. So it depends where you live. And I think it's not really a relevant terminology. So I'm going to call it mother tongue because this is the language you learn with your mother when you're little. And um, obviously, I might have to refer to community languages, but I just wanted to point out the fact that I find the terminology not very representative. So, in the UK, well, the most spoken languages that are not English are Punjabi. So Punjabi is a uh, language that comes from South Asia and from India. And there's up to 2 million people in um, who live outside Asia and do speak Punjabi. So it's the most uh, common language in Pakistan and India. And the Punjabi language is the third spoken in the UK. Why? Because of colonization and then immigration. So there's 700,000 Bengali speakers in the UK and most of them, 550,000 of them, are Sileti spoke, uh, speakers, so it's a dialect of Bengali. Amongst these 700,000 Bengali speakers, not 
all of them will be able to write the language. So there's also a big difference between being a speaker of a language and being fluent in that language to the point where you can read, write, and follow the news and listen to the radio and watch film in that language. Now, the other most spoken uh, immigrant language in the UK is Polish, with uh, the census that dates from 2001 that said that there was 96,000 people who were Polish citizens and who spoke and wrote fluent Polish. Now, it doesn't mean that their children are able to write in Polish. Again, being a speaker doesn't make you a writer as well in the language. But there's other languages as well that are highly represented in the UK. There is Urdu with um, immigrant from Pakistani or Indian um, origins. And there is also people from um, Afghanistan who can speak Urdu. There's 269,000 speakers uh, in the census from 2011. And then you have Gujarati, another Indian language. You have Mandarin with Chinese. You have Tamil, Arabic, Somali, Romanian, Italian, and Turkish. So a lot of languages that are um, representative of the different waves of immigration that the UK has been experiencing for the last 70 years. Saying that, French has always been an immigrant language in the UK because of the Huguenots who left France due to religious persecution and started to come to the UK in the 17th century. So we have a lot of very different languages and they're not all spoken to the same level Obviously, some people might be fluent in Italian and can write it and read it, and some might not be able to do so. So, um, it is really important we, we look at what's going on in the UK regarding languages because there's a massive shortfall of teachers of languages. There is less and less and less people who are studying languages at university. Universities are shutting down their language departments and we're going to lack teachers, but we're also going to lack students. There's less and less students who take languages for their A-levels and less and less students who take um, language for GCSE, even though the government wanted everybody to study a foreign language. So, in fact, we have governments and British institutions that are saying we need to have a workforce that speak more than one language. And in practice, we have less teachers, less students and less money devoted to promote the study of languages. I am referring to an article written by Simon Sharon. Um, Sharon, S-H-A-R-R-N. Simon Sharon writes in uh, Teaching Times, so um, online you can find his article. It is called The Huge Languages Skill Deficit Revealed by Erasmus Exit. So what does that mean? Since 2016 and the Brexit referendum, the UK has decided to cut ties with the European Union. However, the European Union was offering a lot of money and a lot of funding to help people learn languages. So the famous program that most people have heard of is Erasmus. And Erasmus was a funding that is still offered to EU people, but not to UK people anymore. Erasmus funds 
used to fund before 2016 and the Brexit referendum. Erasmus used to fund 4,700 projects and 128,000 UK people benefited from these projects. Now, because of Brexit, there's no more Erasmus project offered to UK students. Some uh, institutions have been created by the UK government to try and palliate that lack of funding from the EU. There is the Turing programme named after Alan Turing, a very famous uh, decoder who did wonders during the Second World War with his maths and computing, uh, early computing knowledge. Now, the Turing programme offers help. I personally, I'm, um, f I have written an application for a grant for my students for the Turing program, but the Turing program doesn't have the same budget as Erasmus. So its target number is only 35,000 participants. So compared to what Erasmus was doing, Erasmus was helping 100 and 28,000 UK participants. So we have less than a third of that number. So how can we share that budget amongst all the UK students and who's going to benefit from it? Is it going to be primary school students, secondary or college students or university students? This is something we need to have a look at and uh, analyse. But according to Simon Sharon, he says that Brexit serves to underline the, the lamentable state of language learning in the UK. So he's using a very, um, a very strong adjective, lamentable, uh, with synonym with pathetic, to describe the state of language learning. And I can see it every day in my practice as a language teacher. People are not interested in languages. People think it's too hard. People think it's not valuable and people think English is enough to succeed in the work uh, field. Um, I think it's a pity, obviously. I am in the UK because I learned English, because I love languages, because I'm a linguist. I got job offers because I'm a linguist. I, um, I promote learning languages at home with my children and also at work with my students. And I want to promote all languages because I think every language has um, a culture behind it. And every time you learn a language, you discover another way of seeing the world and it makes you richer intellectually and spiritually. So I think monolingualism should be eradicated and everybody should be speaking more than one language to broaden the mind and reduce prejudice and bias. Now, there is a famous movie I would recommend every educator to show their students or every parent to watch with their children. Its title was L'Auberge Espagnole, which translates as the potluck in uh, English. It's a film that had funding from different countries, mostly France and um, Spain, but it also is a French film made by the film director Cédric Clapiche. And L'Auberge Espagnole was filmed a long time ago, 20 years ago, and it re represents the freedom my generation experienced when um, 
the EU was created. So we had one currency and we could travel, we could travel around Europe. We didn't need to have a visa. We could study in a university in Sweden and then the year after in Germany and then the year after we could do a degree in, in Spain. We could go anywhere and we were welcome and we felt that the world was our oyster. So this film is fabulous to show what the, Euro the European Union did for the young generation. So L'Auberge Espagnole, please show it to your students, particularly in the UK, because they seem to forget the positives about um, the European Union. And I think L'Auberge Espagnole shows to young people how important the Erasmus program was. Erasmus was particularly valuable because it gave young people from poorer backgrounds the needs to discover an international environment. So according to a House of Lords report, it offered unparalleled financial support and flexibility to enable people from lower income backgrounds and those with medical needs or disabilities to take part in educational exchanges. And we have lost that because of um, Brexit. Let's examine what the Turing programme is going to offer. But remember, it's not the same budget. So if you want to watch uh, L'Auberge Espagnole, it's potluck in the UK. And it was called The Spanish Apartment in Australia. And it's a French-Spanish film. So please watch it. This is the beauty of um, learning languages and living with more than one language. Now, <clears throat> as I've said, the language deficit in the UK is alarming. It is in decline for children aged 11 to 14. The Language Trends Survey has laid bare evidence that there is less and less learning languages for children who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. So it is quite often common in state schools to say to children who are struggling with literacy in English, for instance, that they should just focus on core subjects such as English, maths and science and not study a language. And a lot of students are disappeared from language programs that way. There is a higher level of children from uh, free school meals children, so whose family earns less than £8,000 a year of uh, household income. And there's a high number of pupil premium students. <coughs> I apologize. Pupil premium students are less likely to learn a foreign language. Schools with fewer teaching hours for languages at KS3 are also more likely to have higher proportions of pupils eligible for free school meals and lower overall educational attainment. Schools in the lowest quintile for FSM, so free school meal eligibility, are over twice as likely as those in the highest quintile to offer more than three hours of languages per week at case three. So already in primary school, we see, and also in secondary schools, when languages are compulsory, we see that children who are uh, living on the poverty line have less access to this type of learning. 
It is very worrying and the British Council is trying to raise awareness against this situation. They say that disadvantaged pupil groups should benefit still from the EU Erasmus programme and um, the Turing programme should also target these children with who live in poverty already, financial poverty, and they shouldn't live in language poverty as well. So this is something we need to be aware of as educators. Languages and the study of language is being torpedoed by um, a plethora of factors such as budget cuts, but also a lack of support from the government, a lack of interest from offset inspectors who do not ask how many people are studying languages and um, how successful is the studying of languages. And also universities and colleges colleges because they do not ask for a language as a compulsory requirement. Now, there is the issue of trends in learning languages and at the moment European languages have lost a lot of their appeal. There is almost no one who learns Italian now in um, in London. Uh, German has almost disappeared. In all the state schools I know in my local area, no one is teaching or studying German. It is gone. And um, French is also losing ground. Spanish is trying valiantly to, to struggle on, but it seems that languages have lost their appeal. So, from 2002 to 2018, we've seen a loss, 15% less overall, with 64% less in German, 51% less in French, and um, only, only a slight um, decline for Spanish, but it's not looking good. There's less and less students who are taking A-level language exams in the UK. We are less than 20,000 students taking uh, Welsh, which is a, a, a mother tongue in Wales, and we are reaching 10,000 A-level students for French. So it's such a small amount, it's, it's really worrying. It's at all levels, it's not just in primary school, it's not just in secondary school for GCSEs, it's also at university. The British Academy has made a report that says language learning turning a crisis into an opportunity. And Neil Kenny and Harriet Barnes have um, published this report and written about the data. So the data shows that there is a fall by 54% since 2007 in the number of students who are studying modern languages at undergraduate level. And 10 university modern language departments have closed. So we have less students learning languages in secondary state schools, and we have less students learning a language at university. Learning a language is not popular in the UK. This is a state of affairs. So the, this British Council survey was published on Thursday the 12th of November 2020, and it said 66% of UK adults did not really understand or appreciate the benefits of studying a foreign language. And I see it at home and I see it at school. Parents do not really seem worried when gr the grades of their students, of their own children, is low in languages because they think it's not the core subject 
it's not important. 64% of the people who were interrogated for that survey by the British Council said that they had kept up the foreign language they studied but regretted not spending more time studying it. So it seems like when people actually study a language, they enjoy it, but they realize that they didn't learn it the best way or they didn't have enough time to devote to it. And then 10% of UK adults tried learning a language during the first lockdown with smart smartphone apps being the most popular study method. So it's quite a, a big number of this adult population that seems to think it's important to do it. I'm not sure studying with an app alone will be um, enough though. 66% think um, of adults asked by the British Council survey, 66% of them said it should be compulsory at primary school and 79% thought it should be compulsory at secondary school. So it seems that adults are aware that it should be compulsory and in some, in, in many schools it is, but still maybe that desire for their children to study doesn't translate as a desire in the student cohort to study. Spanish, French and Mandarin Chinese are still considered the top three most important languages for young people to learn. Why is that? I would say um, people look at business opportunities and it's true that mandarin is becoming very uh, good for business because you know it's a billion uh, people market um china and we might create more link if we understand mandarin a bit more now for spanish and french it's still um, some of the most spoken languages in the world there's 270 million people who speak French all over the world. So if you do speak French, you have more opportunities to open uh, new businesses abroad and make money. So it seems that British people really translate in an interest from their own children. So there's a lot of reading you can do if you want to know more about that language deficit. There was an all-party parliamentary group on modern languages in 2019. There is um, Ofqual, O-F-Q-U-A-L, that published a recent trend in modern foreign language exam entries in Anglophone countries. The British Council publi published language trends in 2020, where they mentioned the language deficit. Um, the Confederation of British Industry is also deploring the state of language learning in the UK and they say that to educate the modern world we need more languages. And there's lots of um, publications from the Department for Education and Skills. In 2018 they published Languages Boost to deliver skilled workforce for UK businesses. The European Commission published a paper on Erasmus and numbers uh, regarding UK and um, there's the National Centre for Excellence for Language Pedagogy, NCELP, that has published studies about that language deficit. So the research has been done, the teachers are aware, head teachers are aware. Now, what do we do to palliate this deficit? Are we putting our money where our mouth is? 
Well, I'm going to give you some areas of research and some ideas of how to promote languages in your school and in your classroom after the break. So I hope you're going to enjoy the news and then we get back to our issue of promoting multilingualism in the UK. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead, who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, service manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system, but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby, but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar, 
and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Hannah McCulloch, Chair of the LGBT Society on the university's Coleraine campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language Jeremy Miles said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, For teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available and we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Reading up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday, and next week will still be Black Friday, or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop? is actually a deal? Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive. If you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. 
buyer beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So, dear listeners, thank you for listening to the news. As I was talking about the language deficit in the UK, I don't want you to come out with a feeling of hopelessness. This is not what we're about. We always want to be optimistic about the future. So, I'm going to blow my own trumpet and talk about an association I'm a member of. It is an association which is which has a status of charity and its only aim is to promote learning a language. So far, so good. So the Association for Language Learning was created in 1990. Its um, aim was to assemble several other associations. So there was um, conurbation of the Association of Teachers of Italian, Teachers of German, Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese, Dutch language teachers and teachers of Russian, as well as the British Association for Language Teaching and the Modern Language Association, which had previously worked together under another umbrella called the Joint Council of Language Associations. Lots of words just to promote learning a language. So since 1990, the ALL has been working hard Um, promoting teaching and learning of languages, giving information, publishing articles, organizing professional activities, acting as a public voice on behalf of members, but also supporting teachers who feel isolated. Because it is not easy to be a language teacher. You might have um, a primary school in your local area and the children are, uh, it's a requirement they need to learn either French or Spanish or uh, German or a language and the teacher who is asked to do it is not always a native speaker or is not always a language teacher it's another subject that the primary school teacher has to do and it's lonely because they don't always have the training they don't always have the time to prepare and they don't always have the network you need Um, I have a network of uh, Spanish speakers around me, of Danish speakers, of French speakers, and if I need a book or if I need a recommendation for a movie or a song, I just use social media or I, I ask my friends and they can give me the book and I can use it with my students. If you're a primary school teacher and you don't really know the language you're teaching so much, you might be lacking all these resources. The ALL, the Association for Language Learning, might help and might offer the support you need. But we're not just working for teachers, we're also working for our students. We really want our students to excel in learning a language, to have fun with it, to enjoy it, and to discover cultures. And this is the beauty of our meetings. We had a meeting on Saturday, there was a Mandarin speaker, there were there were German speakers, there were French speakers, there were Portuguese speakers, and there was, there was an Arabic speaker. And that was just a tiny room with maybe mm, less than 10 people. And we all share in common that passion for discovering new languages, teaching them, learning them, but also discovering a culture, the food associated with it. And did I mention the food? Yes, the food. So the ALL is doing its work. We're not very famous in association, 
but we really want to reach out and get new members. So if you teach languages, if you want to promote it, if you are worried about the language deficit, please consider joining us. We have different types of membership and um, they're all on the, on the website. So you can, you can go and check. So the Association for Language Learning for the membership. Now, we also organize a big show, Language World 2023. This will happen on Friday the 17th and Saturday the 18th of March in Sheffield. It's nice to not do something in London sometimes, isn't it? So it will be my first time visiting Sheffield. I'm going to Language World and I'm hoping that I will be able to talk there. And what we are going to do is promote language learning. What can we tell you about language learning? Well, it's a very difficult task to promote it because it's very political. And I just want to mention the fact that um, we had um, a lady who came and talked to, to us about her experience of teaching Arabic in um, state schools. And can I just say it was shocking. She had to face Islamophobia and she also had to face racism in her daily working practice. This lady is teaching Arabic, a language, which is a beautiful ancient language, um, a, the language of poetry, the language of maths, the language of uh, a, a very rich culture. And yet, depending on which school she was into, depending on which head teacher she was confronted to, she felt ostracized very often. And um, I, I, I was shocked actually, because I didn't expect it to be that bad. Um, I, um, I just asked on Twitter if that was common and I got some other teachers who told me appalling things that students were told that they could not speak their mother tongue in the corridor um, and children were scared of filling in a form saying that they spoke another language other than English because they thought they would be put aside or that they would be given extra literacy um, intervention that they didn't need or maybe if they needed it they felt like it was putting them in a in a group in a category that didn't want to belong to and a lot of these students and the parents also refused to say that they speak another language at home which is so shocking to me because I value my students who have EAL English as an additional language and usually my best students are students who have EAL because they understand how language works. They know how hard it is but they don't find it uh, stifling. They also are curious and they have transferable skills. For instance, I have an amazing student this year, um, my lovely David, and he's um, a Bulgarian speaker and he's just constantly making references to how grammar works in Bulgarian and he compares it to French grammar and we have these great discussion. Um, I have another lovely student who is um, Greek speaking and he tells me about accents in Greek and it, it's just wonderful and I really would love any teacher, any head teacher in this country to promote the languages that the students are talking at home 
Tell them to come and bring their favorite book. Tell them to read it for World Book Day. It can be a, a, a child bedtime story. It doesn't matter the level of difficulty. Just tell them to share with us their mother tongue. I, I think it, it's like having a, a student who is uh, very good at gymnastics or very good at archery or fencing or ballet, and then you ask them to do a show at the end of the year. This is how you make them feel good. So why wouldn't we? I'm very much aware that not all students can write their own language. And I think as a head teacher, it would be good if we could have an EAL specialist in the school who reaches out in the communities and asks if there are people who can speak a language and teach it. And they would be welcome to come to the school and offer a club. It could be on a voluntary basis as a... Um, as a charity work or as a, just someone who is retired and ask them to come and teach the kids their mother tongue and also to teach other people who are willing to learn. And it'd be great if some staff members could join in. So I think we need to be aware that the only languages that you can sit an exam for in the UK at the moment are the GCSE French, German, Italian, Spanish, Polish, Bengali, Urdu, Hebrew, Chinese, Mandarin, and Punjabi. That's 10 languages. 10 languages. I have more than 65 languages spoken in my North London school. Why do we only have 10 languages offered? I talk to my students and they tell me, Miss, every Saturday morning I go to my language school. I do extra work. I learn Greek, I learn Arabic, I learn Danish, I learn other languages, and yet no one is taking that into account. And I'm tired and I work super hard and I don't get recognition. I have a student who does Arabic as well as French, and she's a wonderful student. And she told me, Miss, I'm so tired, I work so hard. And I'm just thinking, why can't we have an organization that gives extra credits for all these students who do extra work at the weekend and yet it doesn't count for their GCSE or it doesn't count for their A-level? And yet it's, it's a wonderful wealth. It's culture. We should celebrate this and we should get, give extra credits. Whatever you call it, is it could be modeling the university credits or it could be language plus, whatever it is, I think we should give recognition to our students who are so dedicated they go to school extra or extra hours. So what is the Association for Language Learning doing to bridge the language deficit gap? Well, we organize um, conferences, but also we organize writing competition. And I just want to share with you the fact that I have some students of mine who won the um, ALL competition. The theme was outside my window and all the students were asked on a voluntary basis if they could write a short poem on the theme of outside my windows. The deadline was the 12th of October. I really pushed it with my students. I, I bore them to death asking for uh, entries. They had to uh, write a little poem. I did say it could be just a few words in another language. The only rule was not to write in English. Absolutely no English. 
and then they had to draw an illustration. I got some beautiful poetry that I'm hoping to compile into a, a book at the end of the year if I have enough budget. So I just want to share you and I'm not going to read it in the original Bulgarian because I don't speak Bulgarian, but my student, my lovely David, a great high achieving student, he wrote it in Bulgarian, but he was so kind enough that when I asked I would like a translation because I don't speak Bulgarian, he did write a translation for me. So I want to share David's poem with you. Winter versus Summer a cluster of winds and clouds gathered together, forming a powerful rainstorm. I can see through my window. But the sun hasn't given up yet, so they say. The sun's rays pierce the dark, cloudy sky, battling the stormy weather. Dark, light, evil, good. As bold and powerful as the reckless rain was, the sun shone and broke the cold and with it the unwelcoming winter. By that time, summer brings warmth and joy to our hearts, for now. So this was David's poem, originally written in Bulgarian, and he translated it for me. David is in year 10, so he's about 14, 15, thereabout, and um, he's, he's studying French with me. But obviously, he can write and read and speak in Bulgarian. And yet, there is no GCSE Bulgarian. So David can't get an extra GCSE in his home learning, in his home tongue. So I wish we could uh, make an appeal to the exam board. So AQA, Ofqual, and Edexcel. Could you please create enough GCSEs so that my students can sit for their exam in their mother tongue and celebrate their learning and the wealth of languages they speak. It doesn't take that long to prepare an exam. I remember in the first lockdown when teachers were asked to prepare their own exams in 2020, 2021, and we did it unpaid extra. So I'm sure exam boards can actually spare maybe one or two days asking for a translator to someone translating exam papers in all the languages that are spoken in our community. I know there is 65 languages in my local community, but I think it is the duty of the example to create more GCSEs for all the community languages. So this is a daily fight we have to do as teachers, but also as parents. And I've been working in the network of uh, little French schools for more than 10 years now. They are mostly populated by dedicated volunteers, mostly mums, can I just say, it's mostly mothers who create these small Saturday schools. Sometimes when they're big enough a structure, they can get funding from the French government via the AEFE, the Association for um, pour l'encouragement de l'enseignement du français langue étrangère. So this is an association, a governmental organization that promotes French learning. But we are sometimes struggling. We need to motivate the children. 
they don't always see the point of waking up on a Saturday morning to learn their mother tongue. We need to have resources. We organize library collection systems. And you know what? We are facing very, um, very expensive local places to rent. And this is one thing that um, a lovely colleague who's an Arabic teacher told us. Schools don't always want to um, let their classrooms at the weekend. And I understand that the caretakers might want some time off from their work. Sadly, we need a space that is safe for our students, that is also with uh, toilets that are for disabled students or for children who are, if primary aged children, uh, toilets that are their height and size. So we need to let school rooms and sometimes schools charge us such an extortionate amount of money, it's almost like they want to stop us from doing our Saturday morning schools. So if I can just launch an appeal, if you are working with a church that has a church hall, or if you work in a school, can you ask them if ever they are approached by a language school, can you just make them a um, fair deal so that they can let the rooms for cheap to allow them to do their job which is teaching mother tongue languages it's really important we have saturday morning arabic school or somali school or urdu school or greek school or russian school or ukrainian school or french school we struggle to find the places to rent the rooms from and also we can't always afford a very high rent so please think about us volunteering and um, support language schools if you are in um, a school building that has access to facilities like that because let's be honest it is a political thing there's powers at play in language learning and there is such a thing as language inequality we often um, use languages against each other. I don't think that learning French is um, more important than learning Arabic. I think they're both very important. And I also think that learning Ukrainian and learning Greek is just as important. Why? Because when you learn a language, you discover culture. And when it's your heritage, it's even more important. I want every child to have access to good quality language learning in the language that their families have access to. Which means that if your family comes from Somali, you need to be able, Somalia, my apologies, you need to be able to learn Somali, how to write it and how to speak it. It is important and it keeps the children entertained and occupied. Language learning is good for the soul and good for the brain. I do not want to see a pyramid of languages. And if you Google pyramid of languages, you're going to see the big languages they're called, and they're called English and French. Why are they at the top of a pyramid? Because they were the languages of colonizing and um, imperialism. We shouldn't put them on a pedestal. They should be at, at the same level as regional languages, such as Mandarin, Arabic, Russian, Spanish. Then we have national languages, they are just as important. And then we have ver vernacular languages, and that's more than 6,000 languages in the world. We need to celebrate them. To me, they are just as important as food. We need to embrace all the flavors 
and learn to taste them. And I want to go back to history because learning a language is about understanding what was before, before you and what will happen after. Let's look at the UK. Why is there a language deficit? Well, it's a decision. Because remember, the United Kingdom is made of different countries with different cultures and different languages. I'm going to look at some research which was published by a um, doctor who has a PhD in history and a certificate in Irish from the University of Limerick. Now, I apologize because I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his name because I have absolutely no learning or understanding of Irish language. So I'm going to try and make it sound palatable with a kind of French accent and an English twang. So I apologize. It is not intentional. I just don't know anyone who can um, tell me how to pronounce it. I tried to, to look for it on Google and I couldn't find a recording. So this doctor in history and Irish language is called Dr. Padraig Og O'Rourke. That's how I, I'm going to read it. So I'm just going to spell it. P-A-X-N-D-R-A-I-G and then O accent G space O accent. And then the last surname is R-U-A-I-R-C. So I'm not going to pronounce it again because I don't want to hurt uh, anyone's feelings. But he's a, um, obviously a specialist of Irish language. And I looked at his published articles on what happened with language learning in the history of the United Kingdom, because it's about imperialism. What happened in Wales? Well, in Wales, there was a law, the Laws in Wales Act 1535. So in 1535, it was decided by law that English would be the only language used in Wales at court, and that people who were only Welsh speakers didn't understand English, were not allowed to become lawyers at court. So from 1535 all the way to the 1960s, England benefited from rules that put it on top of another language. That's imperialism. That's colonization. In the 1960s, there was protest, sometimes violent protest, with terrorist attacks and bombing. And it put pressure on the British government and they started to promote Welsh language. We had protests by the Welsh Language Society. Again, I'm not going to try to read the actual name in Welsh. And they demanded the use of Welsh in post office services, local court hearings and local government. So from the 1960s, the British realised that they had to stop pushing English as the only language. Remember that the protesters who refused to pay fines were imprisoned. So it is serious. Language teaching history is serious. There's people who ended up in jail for trying to promote their language. Um, and also, I want to look at the um, response to... Yeah, it, it was... It was an act in 1967 that was pushed because people rebelled. And you, you know when people say you shouldn't get on strike, you shouldn't go on strike, you should just keep working. It's not fair to go on strike. All these people who say that 
are against social change because social change always happens when people raise and say no it's enough so if you're against civil unrest and civil protest you are against people having a voice and you're against social change In 1967, the Welsh Language Act was recognised with the first time in in the law the status of Welsh speakers being protected. And since then, we have a movement of promotion of Welsh as a language. In 2011, the census shows that 19% of the population of Wales speak Welsh. It seems shockingly low to me. Um, that only 20% of Welsh people speak Welsh. But this is what happens when a foreign country takes over and puts in place a law that is discriminatory. Apparently, there's only 11% of these Welsh speakers who can actually fluently speak it and write it. But still, um, they're fighting back. What happened in Ireland? Ireland and Wales are very different countries yet they both suffered from English colonization. So the first British law enacted in Ireland happened way earlier than the the 16th century in Wales. In Ireland, it happened in 1367. It was the Article 3 of the Statute of Kilkenny, and it said that the Irish language was banned. It was illegal for English people who settled in Ireland to speak Irish and to learn it, and it was illegal for native Irish to speak their language when they talked to English colonists. And then later on, another set of law to stop Irish from becoming, um, from keeping its status as a national language. In 1537, there was a Statute of Ireland an act for the English order habit and language, and it prohibited the use of the Irish language in Parliament. And then in 1541, another set of laws was passed that banned the use of Irish in Ireland. So that was it. 1541, Irish people were not allowed to speak Irish. The Administration of Justice Language Act in 1737 not only forbade forbade speak, the speaking of Irish in a court of law, but also if you brought um, documentation written in Irish, you would have to pay a fine. It's only centuries later, in 1998, with the Good Friday Agreement, that the British government under Tony Blair committed to, I quote, recognizing the importance of respect, understanding, and tolerance in relation to linguistic diversity, including the Irish language. So we've had 700 years of language oppression from the English onto Irish, the language. And what is the result of this politics, these policies? The result is that only 2% of the population of the Republic of Ireland who can use Irish as a daily language. 2%. So you see how political this becomes, language learning. Because if you ban a language, you destroy its culture, you destroy its power, and you destroy the patrimony and the heritage. 
it's it's like having a piece of fabric and and if you ban the use of the language you pull at the seam until the fabric just unravels completely and you're left with just thread and there's no more pattern and there's no more there's no more history so now my question is what do we do in our schools first i have to appeal to all the exam boards so that they can give gcse uh, language exams in all the languages that are spoken in this country. There's only 10 offered at the moment by AQA. We need at least 60 in my school because we've got 65 languages. So there's a lot of work from the exam boards. What do we need to do as head teachers, SLT and teachers? Well, we need to have a policy that promotes language learning. We need to devote more time to um, the foreign languages we're learning, but also to community languages. Can you offer the use of your classrooms on a Saturday morning to Saturday morning schools? Can you make deals so that the, the cost is not too high, so that the parents can pay for their children to attend Saturday Arabic school or Saturday Greek school or Saturday Polish school? And now the crucial question, how do we deal with the mother tongue do we allow it in the corridors? Because I've been told that some schools do not let kids speak their mother tongue in public. So to me, it's very irksome because I try to speak my mother tongue with my students in the corridors. I am a um, French native speaker. When I see students outside my classroom, whether I teach them French or Spanish or uh, any other language, I try to say hello to them in the language I teach them. So if I see students um, that I teach French to, I'm going to say, bonjour, comment ça va? And if I teach students that I teach Spanish to, I'm going to say, hola, que tal? And sometimes I see students that I don't teach at all, yet they know I'm a Spanish or a French teacher. And sometimes they say, they greet me with that language. And sometimes also I see students who say, salam alaikum, and I say, alaikum salam because I know this is their language. And also we have a joke and sometimes we gr greet each other in different languages. So we use uh, Japanese or any, any language we know. It's a kind of a running joke, but it's fun and it's uh, inclusive. And we, it, it makes us smile when we see each other in a corridor. Now, I want to share with you ideas and things I read on Twitter when I talked about it lately. There's obviously different messages. I have teachers who are worried about students spending too much time talking in their mother tongue with one set of friends and then not being included in the rest of the school. I'm going to tell you when I think it's necessary to encourage mother tongue speaking and when it shouldn't maybe be encouraged. In an effort to be inclusive, when you have a new student who joins into the school, and they don't speak English very well because they've just arrived in the country, they should be paired with a buddy. And many schools do that. For instance, we have Brazilian students who come and um, they are paired with a Brazilian uh, or a Portuguese speaker. And the speaking buddy translates, supports and helps the first two or three months. And then when the, the student is more secure in their understanding of English, they don't need their body so much anymore. And then it 
just naturally fizzles out and then they just speak um, English most of the time. But if they are meeting each other in the corridor, then they talk Portuguese to each other because it's their, it's their mother tongue and it feels good and it's not hurting anyone. And that's absolutely fine. Now, sometimes you might want um, to let some students speak their mother tongue for privacy. I know that when my students uh, are, are speak, speaking Somali with each other, it may be because they are describing some symptoms they have and they don't want everybody to, to know about what they're going through. I know sometimes my female students have to, to talk to each other and this is to protect their privacy and that's absolutely fine. And we have an understanding and I respect the fact that they're talking in their language and I don't speak it myself. So I would say for encouraging a sense of belonging to a community, it is absolutely fine to speak your mother tongue in the corridor. For privacy purposes, it is also absolutely fine to speak your mother tongue in the corridors or in class. For support, when you move into a new country, it is essential that you have a speaking buddy. And also sometimes for discussing difficult concepts in linguistics. I have students who are um, Somali speakers and they sometimes tell us what words are used in their language and we have discussions and sometimes they find it hard to explain a concept in linguistics in English so they revert to their language and that's absolutely fine. And we know what they're doing, they're discussing a linguistic concept. And I love these moments. I love listening to their language and I love just the wonder of listening to that code that I don't know about and that I can't decipher. I actually enjoy sometimes listening to languages I don't understand. I pay attention to the musicality of it and it's actually um, soothing because I don't have to care about the meaning. I just listen to the music of it. Now, when is it an issue to speak in your mother tongue? Because let's be honest, there's going to be issues. We're humans. We create chaos sometimes, aren't we? So when it's not allowed to speak in your mother tongue, it's clear. It's when you're saying something hurtful, whether you say it in English, in Urdu, or in Somali, or in French, we know the intention is bad. We can tell. So for bullying, for insults, for making derogatory comments, and we've all been there. We have all had a student who said something rude about you or about another student in their mother tongue. Now, you shouldn't blame the, the mother tongue for that. It's not the language that is to blame. It's not the code that's been used that is to blame. It's the intention. So whenever you face this kind of situation, you need to say it loud and clear. Bullying, derogatory comments, insults, are banned from our classroom in English, they're banned in any other languages. And when the classroom rules are clear, you don't even need to explain why. It's obvious. So I don't think the issue of what if they say something rude in another language. A child who is rude is going to be able to, to be rude in all languages. I mean, you, you could ban every language that would find an insult on, on the internet. So this is not the issue there. If someone is being rude, it's an issue of behavior. It's not an issue of language. And if they use a language, don't blame the language. Blame the child's attitude. Please don't blame the language. It has nothing to do with the intention. So what can you do in school to promote the mother tongue in 
very specific ways. Well, it's simple. You need to nurture your students with English as an additional language first. So make sure they're welcome. Make sure they're equipped with the best resources to start their journey into your school. Create a visual school guide with less to no English writing. Use visuals and tell them what they need for a daily routine day. You need to also create a local community of native speakers who can come to the school. You need to make sure they are DBS checked, but they can uh, read the school policy, translate it, and describe a normal school routine in all the languages that are spoken. Make sure you have a bank of different school rules written in all the languages you need. Ask for English as an additional language support. Get the exam boards to prepare more exam papers in other languages. It's an urgency. It's an emergency. It sh money shouldn't be an excuse. It's not that difficult to create an exam paper. Teachers did it for free during the lockdown. So exam boards should get their act together and do the same. Ask people in your community who speak different languages to come and be translators, but also support workers and liaise with the council. You might be surprised at the number of retired former nurses or lawyers or um, bus drivers who speak more than one language and would be delighted to help teaching it in your school or to create resources for you to use. Ask the students to create the immigrant cookbook or the language cookbook. So everyone brings a recipe, a picture of the food they created, and you collate it to, all together and you create your own school recipe book. The Bedtime Story Podcast. Ask each parent to come with their child and read a very dear bedtime story to them. They're going to read it in their own language. So you might end up having Handa's surprise in um, uh, Kikuyu language, or you might end up having Peppa Pig in Mandarin. It doesn't matter. You record it and then you promote it. Organize a summer fair stall and each stand or each stall represent a country. Ask them to bring food items, traditional toys, national dish, and also samples of their own culture. Create your own listening project. Ask the children who have parents or grandparents who speak another language to interview their family members, talking about their experience of learning English and also their love for their language. Ask them for their favorite English word and for their favorite word in their mother tongue. For your information, um, my, fav my favorite um, English word is a lullaby. I feel like the alliteration in L is very soothing and it also evokes ideas of softness and, and freshness and, and tenderness whenever I hear the word lullaby. And my favorite French word is tintinabule, which also has um, the same um, kind of, it, it means something that makes the sound of a little bell when you shake it. So lullaby and tintinabule. Ask your students. It's a great thing to engage with their family members and they can either record them using a website such as Vocaroo 
or they can just write down what their um, family members said. And again, I'm insisting, try and reach out to local community schools, get some schools to use your classroom facilities on a Saturday morning. You will find that there's a Russian community or Ukrainian community or Greek community or Spanish community that just needs a student hall or a classroom to teach once a week. It might be after school hours or it might be uh, on Saturday mornings, but it's the best way to create link with your local community and it also can give extra cash that you can use for the school and maybe to organize school trips abroad. Another thing you can do if you really want to support language learning is to invite speakers. Reach out to the embassies. There might, even if you don't live in London, you might have a small um, consulate or a branch of the embassy near you and they can invite a speaker to come to your school and talk about their culture. Or you might organize a day trip to an embassy uh, if you have a big Polish community, for instance. Make them visit the Polish, the Polish embassy and try and find a shop where you can buy Polish delicacies in London. So there is a plethora of ideas. Please, please, please make sure you encourage everyone to learn languages. You might want to offer lessons for staff. Many staff, members of staff are going to travel in their holidays. This is the beauty of being a teacher, right? If you can travel on holidays. So they might go to France, they might go to Spain, they might go to Greece. Ask if there's a member of the community who can come and teach them some basic sentences. At the end of the day, we all need to be able to say, uh, Necesito una cerveza, por favor, in all languages, don't we? So I hope you found this useful. I just wanted to really raise the awareness that we can't ban mother tongue speaking in schools. This is counterproductive. We need to embrace other languages. We can't keep our imperialistic, patronizing ways and think that English is the only way. It's by being diverse that we will succeed. We need to learn words in many languages. So I'm gonna let you listen to the news before um, leaving you. And I hope you found this interesting and thought-provoking. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out! Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading! This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. I'm
ITV News reports on the workload of educational psychologists in Gateshead, who say they are overwhelmed as the number of children needing special educational help has risen by 117% in eight years. This has placed a strain on SEND services in the area, but the load has been especially large for EPs. Deborah Mason, service manager for SEND in Gateshead, said that there had been a wait for some people to complete their doctorate, although assistant ed psychs have been used to enhance the team. This report comes shortly after the Secretary of State for Education in England, Gillian Keegan, sent a message to the education and care sector about SEND reform. In the message, Ms Keegan said she believed that pupils and students should always be able to get a high quality education and receive the right support. She acknowledged the challenges of a complex system, but said that her department wanted to take time to listen to children and parents, as well as those in the system, before publishing a response to the SEND and Alternative Provision Green Paper. An improvement plan would be published in the new year, she added. Part of the plan would include investing £21 million into training 400 more educational psychologists. For young people in areas like Gateshead, this funding can't come soon enough. The BBC News website reports on claims that the University of Derby has suspended a student for taking her baby into lectures. The female student is halfway through a degree and a tutor had agreed to her taking her son to lectures as a short-term measure, but this was later overruled. As the student was breastfeeding, she felt she had no option to continue, but was suspended two weeks ago. The student believes she has been discriminated against because she has a baby, but stated she had never allowed her son to disrupt the learning of others. A university spokesman said areas were available on campus for those who needed to breastfeed, but that taking a baby or child into lectures was not allowed for health and safety reasons. Meanwhile, Ulster University has defended itself against claims that it plans to open a campus in Qatar and that will have a negative impact on LGBTQ rights. The university is due to open the campus in Doha in January next year. Speaking on BBC Radio Ulster, Hannah McCulloch, chair of the LGBT Society on the university's Colrain campus, said she is worried that the university is putting financial gain over a community within their community, and that it will damage the establishment's reputation. A spokesman for the university said, Ulster University believes that education is a route for societal growth and that many UK universities had partnerships with countries across the Middle East. In Wales, the government has announced free Welsh lessons will be extended to the entire education workforce, including non-teaching staff. Alongside this, a new framework for Welsh in English medium schools has been published, underlining how the Welsh language is integral to the new curriculum for Wales. A sabbatical course is also available for teachers to learn or improve their Welsh. Minister for Education and Welsh Language Jeremy Miles said, We want everyone to enjoy using the Welsh language. We are ambitious for our language and I am pleased to be able to extend the offer of free Welsh lessons to all school staff. Finally, in a week that saw the release of Department for Education statistics, which show a 20% drop in those entering the teaching profession, Many media outlets comment on the possible impact on young people. 
The number of entrants to initial teacher training fell from 36,159 to 28,999 between 2021 and 22 and the 2022 to 23 training years. The government attributed the fall to the reduced number of new entrants and an increase in the target. But critics pointed out that the government's recruitment targets for secondary school teacher training has been missed in nine out of the last 10 years. A DfE spokesperson said, for teacher trainees in 2023, bursaries and scholarships in key subjects will be available. And we remain committed to raising the starting salary to £30,000. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you get a bargain on Black Friday? This week I'm going to talk about deals. First, a little bit of history. Tom will be proud of me. Read it up on Wikipedia and seriously condensing what I found, the term Black Friday refers to the Friday after Thanksgiving when the Christmas shopping season starts. Supposedly, it started in the 1950s. Recently, it marked a time of serious bargains, riots and fighting for unbelievable deals. However, are you getting a bargain or are you just led to believe it? Seeing as last Friday was Black Friday, which began last Monday and next week will still be Black Friday or for some stores Cyber Monday or Cyber Week, when you get the best deals online, how do you know a price drop? is actually a deal? Well, the short answer is you don't. I have a couple of pointers here that may help you, but the underlying advice is buyer beware. If I go with the best known online retailer, when using Amazon, there's a nifty little price tracking website called Camel Camel Camel. This will show you the price data for a product over the time it's been advertised. You can see when it was more expensive and less expensive if you're on your phone, where most shopping takes place, Hit the share icon found next to the product image, go to Camel 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 and paste it into the search box. You can even sign up to email alerts for price drops and add target discount alerts if you're not in a desperate hurry for an item. The next trick is to simply do a web search for the product. You may find it cheaper in a large supermarket store and although you may need to go and collect it to save on postage, it may be worth the journey. There's also hundreds of coupon and price comparison sites where you may be able to find further discounts. The only caveat being the time you spend researching may actually outweigh the saving you make. I return to my initial warning. Buyer beware. I hope you get a deal leading up to the holiday season. As always, I'd love to hear your favourite shopping online tips. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, which was about the learning uh, deficit in the UK concerning languages and what we can do to alleviate it. Remember, if you're interested in joining the Association for Language Learning, they have a website, ALL, and also you can do lots in your own school, promote uh, students who speak um, English as an additional language, create podcasts for them to share their favorite bedtime stories, create a um, immigrant cookbook to celebrate diversity and also just learn many many ways of saying hello in all the languages that your students speak encourage their uh, mother tongue and also encourage any students who is an arabic speaker or a somali speaker to try and take lessons so that they can also be fluent and write in that language. Same with Urdu or Punjabi or any other languages. It's really important that our students are empowered and that they can read as well as speak 
and write in their mother tongue. It is about celebrating their culture and their heritage and also giving them more tools to understand who they are and um, it makes better citizens out of this. I would like to thank all the listeners who engage with me on Twitter. It's uh, lovely to see the debate sparkling and taking shape. We have a lot of work to do and I hope this has made you energized and excited. Have a lovely week and uh, celebrating the Christmas spirit. I'm just going to leave you with one way of saying goodbye and it's sayonara. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.